Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one bestseller, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of the medical merry-go-round? Are you looking for a potential solution to your health problem? Be sure and listen to our podcast, The Code Breaker. What's up, guys? A Thursday special podcast, as I promised yesterday. We've got Brody Miller on. Friend of the program, Brody covers LSU for The Athletic. We got into LSU Ole Miss a little bit, but let's be honest, there's not really much to preview on this. I did kind of give a, I guess we kind of agreed on a path that Ole Miss keeps this close or what the, if this game is close in the third quarter, what it looks like. But really, I was more so interested in LSU season, the kind of their big picture, the win over Alabama last week, which was a not program-defining win because LSU's really been there before, but really a, a, a career-defining win for Ed Orgeron, a program I guess changing win for LSU in terms of like kind of vaulting it back into that air of Alabama they haven't won they had not won since 2011 got into Joe Burrow where he ranks in kind of LSU lore as the probably the greatest quarterback in LSU history what it's like watching a quarterback complete 78 percent of his passes 10 games into a season all kinds of different stuff or nine games whatever LSU is all different kinds of different stuff I think you guys will enjoy I'd encourage you to go read Brody's stuff at The Athletic uh, if you have the athletic app, you can search. One of the my favorite things about the app is that you can search the author, so it, all of his stuff pops up very easily once you click on his name. But does a good job, smart dude. Like Brody a lot. I think he had a lot of interesting things to say. So without further ado, here is your Thursday special podcast extra, whatever the hell you want to call it, with Brody Miller. All right, we now welcome on a very special guest, friend of the program, recurring guest, Brody Miller. Brody covers LSU for The Athletic. Uh, if you don't know what The Athletic is by now, I can't really help you. I'm sure most people who listen to this show do. Uh, we've had a plenty of athletic guests on, plenty of friends and colleagues at work there. Definitely worth the monthly cup of coffee, I believe, is the line that's currently used. I love The Athletic. You should subscribe to it. Uh, what's up, man? Not too much. How are you doing? Man, I'm doing well, just living the dream. It's like 26 degrees in Mississippi right now. I'm not a huge fan of that. We didn't really get much cool weather. It went from, why the hell is it 90 in October, to us having an ice front yesterday. So, not really adjusting to that well. But aside from that, just uh, podcasting my ass off. It's kind of athletic. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm enjoying it a little bit, because I'm from New Jersey, as you know. So, I'm... I'm enjoying a little taste of home this week. Oh, yeah. It is uh, It is certainly a cold front. Well, I appreciate you taking some time to chat with us today. We'll get into the game a little bit some, but honestly, there's not a whole lot to break down. Uh, I guess I'm not going to ask you to go through Ole Miss's too deep and ask how LSU can hang with the vaunted Ole Miss offense. <laughs> so we'll get into that some. We'll probably, I'm really fascinated with LSU big picture-wise, but I guess we'll start with the game. LSU comes off with the win of the college football season last week. Um, you know, I mean, game of the century, part two, whatever you want to call it. Do you sense a hangover at all? I mean, I think there's, it's human nature that they probably won't be, you know, your normal locked-in, you know, nicely polished LSU team. I think that's a pretty reasonable thing to expect. And I don't even mean that as a knock. And then you also add in, it's you know, from these last few weeks, it's a kind of beat-up LSU team. I mean, you know, you got... Uh, the right tackle, Austin Deculus, is very doubtful for this game. Uh, the nickel, Kerry Vincent's doubtful for this game. You got a lot of questionable guys, and you got a lot of guys that maybe played through some stuff for Alabama because, of course, you're going to play through some stuff for that, who now might be a little beat up and take some time. I think you factor that in. And, and listen, so, I mean, here's the thing I'll point out. Like, so LSU will probably be without its right tackle, Austin Deculus, and it seems like. You know, uh, the left tackle, Sadiq Charles, you know, uh, a Jackson guy, as you know. You know, he, he's somebody who's kind of going through a vague 
kind of uh, unspoken punishment thing where it appears he's going to be sitting out six games this season, and it's all kind of you know ambiguous when they're going to be. It seems pretty clear this is going to be one of them. So LSU is going to be playing again without you know likely it's two stop starting offensive tackles, and the third offensive tackle in the rotation who normally fills in. He's actually beat up, banged up right now, and he's not available. So LSU can be basically playing, you know, a guard and a fourth str- uh, number four offensive tackle in this game. So that is one thing to watch. Yeah, and that's interesting. If there's one area that Ole Miss has really drastically improved in, it's been the defensive line. This was a unit last year that couldn't rush the passer at all, particularly on the exterior against anybody. And I think if there is a bright spot with Ole Miss this season, is Mike McIntyre has done a really nice job kind of doing a lot with a little. And I think that's kind of been his rep. I mean, he built towards that big one season at Colorado. If you win at San Jose State, you probably obviously know what the hell you're doing. Conversely, on the offensive side of the football, it's been a complete and total train wreck. Like, there's really no way to understate it. They they kind of pulled the plug on Matt Corral's development four games in. They kind of got intoxicated with John Rice's Plumlee's speed, which I understand, but making him the every-down quarterback and drastically changing everything you do mid-season to cater towards a kid that really can't throw the ball has been really a baffling decision that's worked out about the way I think you would expect it to. I say all of that to say they tried to give the illusion for like two weeks that this is a two-quarterback system. In the last two weeks, it really just hasn't been at all. Corral's honestly kind of gotten a raw deal in this whole thing. Is LSU even pretending that both are going to play? How have they handled that? Yeah, Ed Ogeron's comments, you know, Monday made it sound like they're primarily focused on Plumlee. It seems like that's the the main focus. And I guess I guess my devil's advocate thinking there is, I mean, if they, pull, if they bring out Corral, I don't know if there's necessarily much that's fundamentally different than, you know, another quarterback they're used to playing. Exactly. I, I don't know if it's that simple, but Plumlee's probably the only one, one that you really, you know, think they're going to play, and two, probably the only one that you have to put some new things in for. Yeah, honestly, for those of, uh, I mean, the those listening to this podcast have heard my, myself and my co-host kind of talk this point into the ground, but you really just personified how badly Ole Miss has mishandled it because the way for them to do a two-quarterback thing is you have Corral who can throw and run okay, be the every-down guy, and then, like you said, when Pumley comes in the game, there's an extra thing you have to account for, and it keeps you off balance, whereas they've done the inverse, and like exactly you just said, when you bring Corral in, it's no different than you're going to see from your really just kind of run-of-the-mill SEC quarterback. So, you know, inadvertently, that was kind of really just personifying how badly they've mismanaged it. <laughs> but on the LSU side of things, I, it's funny, on our radio show this year from, like, Sept- August, July on, I've kind of been this obnoxious LSU Joe Burrow stand. Like, I'm not going to be disingenuous and say I knew the Joe Brady thing was going to work the way it's worked. But from reading some of the stuff you guys wrote down there in the preseason, I was just sitting there thinking, this kid's talented, and if they can actually be for real about spreading it out and doing this thing, they're going to be really good. They're going to give Alabama a much closer run than what had been the one side of Robbie the last six years. And, of course, that's become true beyond their wildest dreams. And the reward I get for that is Ole Miss having a game the ex- on LSU's three primetime games at the exact same time. I miss Texas, I miss Florida, and realistically, <laughs> if I'm being honest, watch the game of the century on my computer as Ole Miss in New Mexico State attempted to play a football game. So offensively, this is a broad and honestly kind of a bad question, but like, what is it like being watching a quarterback complete nearly 80% of his passes nine games in? <laughs> no, it's not a bad question at all because it is, 
it's bizarre. And I guess here's the picture I um, I paint for you. It's that they've been, you know, as we talked about a little bit ago, I mean, they've been in four of their nine games have been top ten matchups. So, you know, Joe Burrow is consistently put in these, you know, pretty clutch, you know, stressful situations. And what's been the most bizarre thing about covering the season, and I've only been here two years, but last year had a ton of problems, it's crazy how whenever things get a little rough, you just assume LSU and Joe Burrow are going to drive for a touchdown. So, you know, Alabama comes back from 33-13 and makes it 33-27. The, the energy in that stadium was off the charts going in that fourth quarter. I mean, it really felt like it would be pretty reasonable to say Alabama was going to come out and steal this game. Pull off one of the greatest collapses ever. And Joe Burrow, you just see him drop that, and you're just like, oh, Okay, LSU's going to be fine. You know, it's just, and I know that's such a simple feeling, but it's such a crazy phenomenon for LSU of all places, who just can never have that kind of offense. So Burrow leads two straight touchdown drives to win that game, or the Texas game might be the best example where they were just like this. They were controlling the whole game, and Texas just kept fighting back, and every time it was just response to another touchdown, response to another touchdown. So my overall point is, it's just machine like it's. It's a mix of Burrow. It's a mix of the offensive like scheme as a whole with Joe Brady. It's a mix of the talent around him at the skill positions. But everything they're doing is just machine like, and that's that's what's so crazy is that he's going to break the yardage records. He's going to he's broken the touchdown records, and now right now as of this second, he he might be the all time college football leader in completion percentage. I mean, it's just bizarre that LSU finally gets one, and it might be one of the best quarterbacks ever. You're so right, though, because when I was watching that game the other weekend or last weekend, excuse me, and the Texas game a little bit from the bits and pieces I caught, when it got close, I still never felt like Alabama was actually going to win the game to whereas any other scenario would be exactly that. But you felt like LSU was going to go down the field and score again, and they did. In that game, what was most impressive to you, the machine-like nature that they were able to carry that over on that stage, or was it kind of the fact, I, I know this is a weird take to have, the defense didn't play particularly well, but man, they made a, they got an early turnover, and they just yeah. seemed like when they needed stops, they made it every time against one of the best receiving cores. I mean, it's probably the best receiving <laughs> core in the country. I mean, when Ole Miss went over Absolutely. there, it was the Devonta Smith game, and he's like their third best guy. It was unreal. Like, which side of that was more impressive to you? I, I think it's a really good question, and I think in like a macro 10 years of what's been going on point of view, the offense was more crazy. But from a this season micro point of view, I mean, the defense, like you said, the numbers aren't going to look great because you're going to see 46-41. But keep in mind, seven of that was a punt return. So in reality, it's, it's, it's 34 points. And then it's also worth saying, and this is going to sound like I'm like defending LSU, but it's true that the first touchdown, offensive touchdown they scored was actually kind of on a – kind of gimmicky play where they faked like they were looking to the sideline on a second on a you know to look for a new call so then Derek Stingley was looking toward the sideline to get LSU's call and they snapped the ball while Stingley was looking at the sideline Devontae Smith went past him for a you know 60 yard touchdown which don't get me wrong credits Alabama but like that wasn't really Alabama beating LSU's defense so I would actually argue LSU gave up 27 real points of offense and so my answer is the defense because man that first half that was shocking. I mean, Alabama's offense, you could have convinced me, was better than LSU's going into this game. And they held them to 24 rushing yards on 12 attempts. Tua was about 50%, I want to say, with an interception to a linebacker, which is you know not something you expect from Tua. They forced turnovers. They stuffed the run. They put them in third and long situations. And then Dave Aranda kind of finally broke out his playbook and had some really creative rushes. 
to cause him to scramble around and throw the ball out. So it was a pretty impressive day from that defense, considering they really, you could argue, didn't even give up a real touchdown the whole first half. And that ended up being the difference in this game. And then, yeah, Najee Harris took over in that third quarter. That was one of the more impressive quarters of football I've ever watched from a guy. But even then, I didn't leave that quarter thinking, man, this defense is getting torched. I left that quarter thinking, Najee Harris, wow, he's really good. So I, I really think what I saw from LSU's defense was kind of the most shocking thing from this game. Macro picture, I'm watching the post game when I got home from work on Saturday, and you see the, you know, the two post game interviews with Ed. I mean, between that and the scene coming back, it looked like the, I don't know if that was back on campus or at the airport where they get off the buses and all of that. I mean, Ole Miss fans, the people that listen to this podcast kind of roll their eyes because they, you know, there's still a little bit of disdain for Ed Orgeron and kind of the way that went up here. But for me, <laughs> just from a sports perspective, like it's kind of, it, it's, it's really cool to see just somebody kind of learn from mistakes and transform. And like, I am not sure there's anyone in sports or at least college football that personifies that more than Ed. Was he any different than he normally is after the game? I mean, I, I imagine at some point the gravity of the moment had to affect him a little bit. He was, I mean, I asked Kelly Ogeron, his wife, after the game, you know, have you ever seen him quite like this post-game? And she honestly looked at me and said, I, not like that. Never have I ever seen him that emotional after a football game. And it was, this was a different Ed Ogeron, and he's always emotional. He's always intense. He's always, you know, he's, he's not exactly, like, he's a crier to some extent. But, I mean, this was a different level when this game ended. He was just jumping up and down, hugging his sons, hugging everyone nearby, like, ah, tears pouring out of his eyes, him and defensive line coach Dennis Johnson, who's been with him really since since day one that he got this job and is kind of one of his protégés, they were like shaking each other and just like grabbing each other's faces, crying eye to face to face. It was a, it was a different level of Ed Ogeron, and I really think this, uh, and that's what I tried to write after the game, was that, yes, in a, in a vacuum, this is just a regular season game, and but in it's a big game because, yeah, it's, it's number one versus number two or two versus three, however you look at it. And it's a big game because it's a rivalry and there's all these stakes. But this was so much bigger than a regular season game for so many things. Sure, the eight years of losing and whatnot, but it's also about an Ogeron, like you said, a guy who failed as mightily as somebody can fail at an SEC job. And is a laughing stock, kind of, and even when he's successful, people like to laugh at him. And, and he's just kind of this goofy guy that nobody really thinks of as that, you know, smart of a coach and whatnot. For him to go into Tuscaloosa, beat Nick Saban, and actually just kind of show the world, like, hey, you know, screw you, I'm actually this good. I actually built this, you know. And he really, I know it's only year four, really, of him, but I mean, he built this. I think it's, it's very important to say. So, yeah, I think this was a, a very different side of Ed Ogeron, and I think it's uh, deserved. Yeah, I mean, it's what two years removed from him looking at that TV camera in the post game and doing the, you know classic ed but still bizarre like we come and type of deal and then like two yeah. years later it's like oh holy shit he was right and so now kind of moving forward you know Ole Miss has a, like I mean LSU excuse me has Ole Miss Arkansas A&M left on the schedule you know if they do what they're supposed to do they're going to play Georgia in the SEC title game and even probably I mean, conversation for another day probably getting in the playoff regardless I look across college football, and it seems to me it's LSU and Ohio State are playing at a clip that really no one else is playing at. And maybe Clemson's bored. Maybe Oklahoma kind of figures it out. Maybe Alabama or Georgia get or Alabama sneaks back in the picture, or Georgia starts to play even better than they are kind of now. 
do I mean they're not going to say it, but do you do you imagine they have their eyes set not just on Ohio State, but kind of the playoff and bigger things now that they've kind of gotten over what seems like the first of two gigantic mountains when you're talking about goals for this year. Yeah, I think you have to. I think uh, I don't even think they're really arguing that because, shoot, if anything, I think the bigger battle is not basking too much in the Alabama part. You know, I think that's really where the the challenge is: is not feeling too much joy out of that and letting it hang over too much. But yeah, I mean, I think they'd be lying if they said that's not the the clear goal now. Because listen, the benchmark for this team for the past eight years has been chasing Alabama, and it's a it sounds dramatic, but that has been the entire chemistry of this team has been about chasing Alabama. So now you've done that. What's next? It's winning a national title. So I think I think that's absolutely what's next on the radar. And yeah, I mean, according to SP Plus, I want to say they have like a 78 or 80 percent chance of winning all these three games. So you feel pretty confident they win all three of these. I guess A and M could give them a challenge. And shoot, I mean, Ole Miss plays people feisty, so I don't think it's a complete given or anything like that. But this uh, this team really does look like they are the first or second best team in the country. They look more complete than they did a month and a half ago, I'd say. They look like a better defense and whatnot, and now it looks like they've got a highest-winning quarterback. So they're, uh, their sights are set on New Orleans' national title. I think there's only two answers to this question because of what a disaster Arkansas is, but you mentioned the S&P percentage of winning games. I mean, Ole Miss is how Plumlee offense works against bad defenses, but it really hasn't proven to work at all against anyone with the pulse. I mean, they were in that Auburn game because of their defense and really didn't find any offense till the fourth quarter. But, like, between A&M and Ole Miss, with the way Ole Miss runs offense and the way LSU's defense is constructed, do you think A&M or Ole Miss is more likely to where you kind of look up in the third quarter and maybe it's a one-score game or maybe it's tied or something where you're just kind of like, oh, holy hell, this could get a little weird. Like, which one do you think gives a little bit better shot? So, I mean, in a vacuum, of course, I think A&M's a better football team. Right. Uh, I think, you know, but I think you add in that that's a game that there's no chance in hell that, you know, LSU is going to overlook because the seven-overtime game, the post-game brawl, the, the, the last few years of just animosity between them, I mean, that's going to be one of those games they get up for and they want to beat that team by 30 points, I think. And also, yeah, just, I, I think they can actually, you know, have their way with A&M right now. Well, Ole Miss is just kind of, this, is gonna, this might sound stupid, but like I think there is a bit more of a weird kind of like ugly risk there of just like we said, it's just kind of a weird feisty team. Their defense can make things happen. You have LSU a little banged up. You have them coming off a hangover. You're on the road while you ms at home. I could definitely see all of a sudden we look up and the world's like, huh, it's 24-17. What's, what's going on here? I, I, I could totally see that. So I know this might my answer in reality is A&M, but my gut is telling me I could just weirdly see Ole Miss being an uglier game. Yeah, I mean, the way that happens if the offense just kind of stumbles over itself for two quarters, maybe like an extended version of what it did at Mississippi State, a little bit of a Absolutely. hangover. Because I don't think Ole Miss is able to, like the way they run offense, I don't think they're going to be able to move the football on LSU consistently enough for it to ever actually be in any jeopardy. But like the way that happens is probably LSU just kind of not being as sharp as it normally is on offense and maybe and also, an early turnover or two or something. And also, one thing I always, I think it's one of the most lost things, and people know this, but they don't put enough, in my personal opinion, I don't think people really factor it in as much as they should. 
when they debate these things, but LSU's going to keep the playbook pretty darn small for Ole Miss. And I, and I right. think they were going really vanilla for Mississippi State, and that factors into these things. And, for example, I think Georgia's a really good football team. I think, and I'm, I'm not, they should still get punished for it, but I think those two games where their offense looked terrible, I think that's those against two teams that were like, we're not going to show a, a darn thing again. So I'm not saying like that should forgive teams for looking bad, but I'm saying it's a bigger factor than I think some of us realize in like analyzing these things. So I really could see LSU not really showing much, and just like Mississippi State, and kind of looking ugly. Two things I got left for you. One's the Ed homecoming. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, but first, Joe Burrow. You came in to your second year doing it. This right when he comes in. Where is he? I mean, this is fairly obvious, but like, where is he ranking in terms of just LSU quarterback lore? And did you see this coming when he kind of came into the picture last summer? So first off, yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear he's going to be the best quarterback in LSU history. And you know, we're actually at the Athletic as we speak. We're kind of pu- we're about to publish our uh, best of the 2010 teams for every school we cover. And, you know, as of literally a week ago, I, I settled on my answer being Tyron Matthew for LSU, and I would I would have been pretty happy with that pick. And then, but I said, I mean, if he wins this game, he's the player of the decade. And I mean, obviously, he won it. He won it convincingly. He's about to win the Heisman Trophy. I mean, he's officially my player of the decade now at LSU. I mean, if you really think about it, I can't think of many other. I mean, he's going to be right up there with Billy Cannon, you know, guys like that in terms of LSU lore when it's all said and done. I think so. He's definitely right there. But to answer your second question, so it's a tricky thing. I mean, my answer is no. I'm not that full of myself. No, of course not. But when he – I did – I always had to constantly kind of write and argue with people on Twitter and all these and radio shows last season when things were looking bad for him because the stats didn't look good and the, 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 the eye test didn't look very good. But I kept explaining to people, guys, he has been put in the worst position, not possible, but pretty bad position. They had the worst pass protection in the SEC and just an overall not very good offensive line. They tried to go in this spread offense, but they didn't really know how to do it yet. So they were really, it was kind of a mess, and the receivers were all inexperienced, and none of them were ready. Like, they're all stars now, but they were not ready last year. And when, when the pass protection looked bad, then all of a sudden they tried to counter that by going max protect with seven, eight-man protections. So that means only one or two receivers are going out for a pass. So, and, and most studies actually show that max protection actually is harder to pass protect. So it was just a mess, and there was no one to throw to. They, he had no time in the pocket. And I would argue that this team, would, like, they won 10 games last year with a mess of an offense. And I kept saying, guys, I think Joe Burrow deserves a lot of credit for this, and he's making these things happen. So I went into the season thinking, all right, Joe Burrow, if this offense is even a quarter of what they think it's going to be in terms of just being a more efficient, he's going to be, you know, a top-five quarterback in the SEC. I thought that. I would have put him, you know, in the, the Jake Fromm realm, right, right behind him probably. I, I thought he could be improved. It's almost, I thought he could maybe be a second- or third-round pick. There is no world in which <laughs> I saw him actually making this kind of leap. You mentioned the problems they had last year. It's almost like his the scary accuracy you're seeing now is a little bit polluted by all of the factors around him. And now that he has a competency around him, you're starting to actually see, oh, holy hell, this guy can sling it, and he can sling it, you know, very, very accurately, whereas last year it seems like maybe that got a little bit diluted by the offensive line troubles you mentioned in the receiving core. That is a good point, though, because and that's the thing I always go back to when you talk about how unprecedented this turnaround is, is it's not just systematic. It's not just surrounding. He wasn't making these throws last year. He just physically 
wasn't able to make the kind of throws you're seeing, you know, those those back shoulder throws against Texas or those tight windows against Auburn. You know, he just really wasn't capable. And I did a whole, you know, I tried to do a kind of a deep dive on how that happened. I think there's a lot of answers. I think I think the thing that you can't overstate is actually just having, because he arrived in the summer last year. So this time he actually had an entire offseason, and he's a grad student, so he doesn't have any real classes right now. And his, his entire offseason was just, ridiculous amounts of time being spent with those receivers. I mean, it's crazy. And you talk to any, I've heard a lot of NFL guys say, like, it's the timing and his just, like, precision with timing and accuracy that's most amazing. And I really think that goes back to that. It goes back to having an offseason to actually be involved in this offense. And then he'll tell you that he spent a ridiculous amount of time on footwork this season, which I think he struggled with last year. So I think all those kind of things coming together ended up being a, a perfect storm. Last thing I got for you is, like, Alex, did Two years ago, I know you weren't here yet, but like much was uh, made of the LSU homecoming and him coming back to Ole Miss and yada, yada, yada. And Dellinger wrote that really awesome and honestly kind of funny at the same time story where he finds the chicken on the stick lady that's still there. Is anything being made of that this time around? It feels like that just kind of lost its luster just because established at LSU, obviously doing very good things, and now Ole Miss is really very much in the review, review now that he's had six, sustained success as a head coach elsewhere. I was at that game actually, covering it for the good old days. Oh, that is correct. Those are the good old days. <laughs> <laughs> the good old days, indeed. But yeah, no, it's a it's a good question. It's just not it's not really that much of a thing this time. It, it was even a thing last year. I feel like a little bit more this time. Yep. It's just it's all kind of old news. It's been done, and and now, like you said, that he's established himself so much that like that stuff is just well, you know whatever. So I don't. It's not really a big thing this time. He talked about it. You know, he made a joke the other day, you know, about the chicken and the stick again because, you know, he's going to because he knows he's going to play the hits. But in general, it's not really a thing. <laughs> oh, that's all I got for you. What's new with you, man? I, uh, I mean, <laughs> the Sixers are doing well. It's a long way from playoffs, but it looks like they're going to win the East. Uh, how's things in Brody Miller's life going? Well, yeah, Sixers are a little iffy, man. They're 7-3, and three, but it's not a pretty 7-3. and three. So they got some things to figure out. But, no, life is good, man. I mean... I'm, like we were joking before we started the show, I mean, no disrespect to Ole Miss and Arkansas, but I'm happy to not have another <laughs> top ten matchup for a few weeks. I'm happy to be able to at least rest a smidge before a college football playoff run. That part's good, but man, life is good. Uh, no complaints. Got to catch up on movies though. That's the only thing I need to do. I hear you, dude. Enjoy it though, because like on the flip side, man, you're covering an Ole Miss team that started out the like I'm covering Ole Miss team that started out the year like really interesting. And then once the quarterback thing happens, it's now they're just throwing the same thing against the wall and hoping it sticks. So you walk into every like weekday media availability for the last like month, and you're like, why the hell am I here again? We're going to write the exact same thing we've been <laughs> writing. So more exhausting to cover a top 10 team, but man, I bet it's a hell of a lot more interesting. But No, and I'm with you. I, I completely get it. I sympathize. That is the worst. I once covered... Uh, Indiana team that lost its quarterback for the start of the on week one, and their th- their two backup quarterbacks both transferred, so they started a 160 pound true freshman, and the guy averaged I think 80 passing yards a game, and it was the most excruciating season of football I've ever watched. Oh, in my life. <laughs> and and by by week 11, you're just like, what are we doing here? So I and Ole Miss is better than that, but still, man, I sympathize. 
Yeah, dude, we were talking. I remember we were talking about this summer at Media Days about like getting motivated for stuff. And like, it's way easier to get motivated. You don't even have to be good. You have to be interesting. And like here, it's just become boring. Aside from like you know them, uh, you know, force entering a chancellor and then him hiring an athletic director down the hall, presumably. So, yeah, and, the, the most interesting thing in the world to cover is like a nine and three football program. Yeah, exactly. So you, you have. Because you you have frustration, you have things you need to fix, but there's still like you're still pretty good, but there's still upside to get better. It's the most interesting thing, and that's honestly why I love the LSU job when I took it. Because LSU is like the definition of that. It's a school that's always ten and two, nine and three, but it has room to win a national title. So everyone's going to be angry and pissed off about it. So it's like that's the perfect. <laughs> absolutely dude well i won't take up too much more of your time i appreciate you hopping on as always um find him at the or you can obviously search him on the athletic app that to me is one of the coolest parts of the app at brody a miller on twitter um if you're interested in reading about lsu this game whatever you need to go find it it is definitely definitely worth your time dude i appreciate it i'm looking forward to seeing you saturday and um safe travels oh man pleasure as always i'll see you soon looking forward to it and that was Brody Miller. Appreciate you guys listening. We had a lot of content for you this week. I'd encourage you to check out the basketball special with uh, former Andy Kennedy staffer and good friend of mine, Bracken Ray. Got into a lot of Ole Miss hoops talk. I think we're going to be doing that regularly throughout the basketball season. It was uh, I had intended to put it along with the Wednesday podcast, but like I kind of mentioned, if you've already listened to the Wednesday podcast, it was too good to... Uh, to really kind of bury in an already hour-long podcast. So if you like basketball in general, if you like college basketball, if you like Ole Miss basketball in particular, uh, you're really going to enjoy that. Bracken's a really smart guy, knows basketball about as well as anyone I know. So I'd encourage you to check out that. we got our normal Wednesday show. And then Mailbag Friday, please participate in the People's Holiday. I need your questions. Send them to me, tweet me, text me, whatever you got, whatever form of communication is available to you. Uh, so we'll be back with Mailbag Friday tomorrow. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.